0: Again, everybody, welcome. My name is Micah, and uh, we are in the midst of a series called "Everything Will Change," and uh, I'm actually really excited about this. I've, uh, we've decided to extend Easter a little bit, so if you have your Bibles, um, get them out, and if you don't, there should be some red ones in the seat pockets in front of you. And uh, we don't have any text on the screens tonight, so you're going to have to, if you want to follow along, you're going to have to old school style and actually find the books and. Uh, We're we're nice people around here, so if you're not sure, uh, just elbow the person next to you and say, what's he talking about and where is he? Uh, And I'm sure that they will help. Um, We're going to receive our offering tonight, and uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, your presence is your gift to us, so welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, And if this is kind of what you call church, uh, this is one of the ways in which we worship, uh, that we choose to to worship. And so uh, we'll pass those. The, The offering bags and plates are on the aisles on the Middle aisles here, and you can just pass those to the edges if you would. Uh, and if you get those, you can hang on to them. And uh, after I'm done, uh, we'll sing a, a, at least one more song, and you can bring those up at that time. So if you want to pass those, that would be great. Um, so we talked a little bit about this last week, but tonight it's really, really actually um, poignant because we're, we're going to celebrate communion tonight, as you can see, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. So there's a lot of stuff around here. But have you ever imagined if you were not a believer in Christ, if, 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 if you were not a person who really knew what, what this was about, and you walk into our building or you walk into any church, what happens on any given Sunday is really quite odd if you think about it. Because you have a whole bunch of people who are seated in you know, places like you are, and they sing songs to a person who's not here, Or it doesn't appear to be. I mean, we believe that Jesus' spirit is alive in the world, and so he is here. But, you know, it would appear that they sing to a person who's not here. Then they're going to take communion, and they talk about, you know, like the blood and the body of this person who's not here. And it's all a little bizarro, if you're really honest. Um, So the question of what is the point of all this anyway, have you ever thought about that, like when you come to church? Or have you ever been asked that question by somebody? You know, the ever-dreaded but really actually quite important question of, What is the point of this anyways? Anybody ever thought that before? I'm a pastor, and I think that. Honest to goodness. I think, why do we do this? Like, what's the point? Why why do we gather? If you were going to boil it down, if you were going to try to, you know, get to the bottom of it, what is at the core of what it means to follow Jesus? What's at the essence? What's at the epicenter, the foundation of it all? What is it? I think it's a great question to ponder and a great question to be asked by people who... You know, are curious about what it is that we do. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start here tonight. This is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And uh, it's in the New Testament, a little past the Corinthian letters. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. You'll never forget those four, okay? So that's free. Thanks for coming out. Your free t-shirt's in the back. Uh, We are in Philippians chapter... Sorry, I'm in the wrong book. Philippians chapter 3. So Paul, the apostle, has written to the church at Philippi and he said a number of different things about, about being a church and being a New Testament church and Jesus and this whole deal. And then he gets to this section that if you've been around church long enough, you're probably familiar with. He says in verse 7, But whatever to, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. And the actual Greek word there um, refers to like poo, just so you know. Like rubbish, like poo, okay? We're talking about he considers everything that he has, everything that his stature as a Jew, all these things he says, they're like rubbish, they're like poop, they're like icky, okay? What we tell our kids. And he says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness from my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And then he says this in verse 10, and I want to know Christ and the power of his what? Resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and I want to f- share in the fellowship or I want to, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, and so, are becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. If Paul were to submit to you tonight, and this is my interpretation, what's at the center of what it means to follow Jesus? I think Paul would say resurrection, which is a bit ironic, because. Paul says the point of knowing Christ and connected to that resurrection. This is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. What Paul does not say is what we would typically answer or what I have been taught most of my life about what's the point of being a Christian. If I sign up with Jesus, what do I get? And the the, the classic answer is, of course, heaven after I die, right? If you sign up with Jesus, you have eternal life in heaven after you die. Ironically, vexingly, interestingly this is not where paul goes we're going to get into a little bit of this and i plan to to really rattle your cage tonight so i hope that you leave maybe a little um flustered but more than that on a redemptive note like challenged to think about what exactly does the bible say about resurrection and this particular topic so paul does not say the point of it is heaven after we die but he says the point essentially is knowing christ and resurrection so, resurrection is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, and that's why these last few weeks, starting on Easter, we decided, let's not let Easter pass us by, let's milk this thing for all it's worth, let's really tackle it, let's really dive into it, and so we're working out the, res- the implications of resurrection, and tonight we're going to talk about what does um, the resurrection have to say today, in the present, here and now, for you and for me, what, how is it relevant for us right here? So um, in in my study of this, of course, I've done a lot of reading about resurrection. I found some quotes about resurrection. I want to read a couple of them to you. One's by the Swiss guy. I won't even uh, attempt to pronounce his name, but he's a really smart guy. I've got a few of his books. He says this, If one does away with the fact of the resurrection, one uh, one also does away with the cross for both stand and fall together, and one would then have to find a new center for the whole message of the gospel. If you, get, if you get rid of the resurrection, you have to get rid of the cross because they stand together. And if you do that, you may as well find a new center to the entire gospel of Jesus, to the story of the Bible, he says. Dan Brown, the author of The Da Vinci Code, the guy who took a lashing by conservatives about the whole you know, Da Vinci Code and was Jesus married and that whole bit, Dan Brown, of all people, says this. Suggesting a married Jesus is one thing, but questioning the resurrection undermines the very heart of Christian belief. So Dan Brown, okay? He would say that resurrection is important. Now, he's anecdotal, but the point is Dan Brown, of all people. Uh, Martin Luther, you guys know Martin Luther, right? Protestant Reformation, big, big player in that whole bit. He says, our Lord has written the promise of resurrection not in books alone, but on every leaf in the spring. Beautiful. I love it. I love springtime for that very reason. And last, one guy says, this guy's a Christian kind of scientist, he says, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God and Christian faith is absolute truth. Does it sound like anybody else from the Bible? Maybe Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's his entire argument, that's what he's talking about. If resurrection doesn't happen, what we have here is useless banter and great music, good food, and hopefully humor and and entertainment from a guy who speaks from the front. That's all we've got. If resurrection didn't happen, why you're here remains to be seen. It's pointless. So resurrection stands at the heart of what it means to be Christian. So far in this series, we've talked at Easter, we talked about the fact that death doesn't win. Uh, Following that, we talked about how does resurrection Im, uh, implicate or how does it how does it impact how we spend money, how we do economics, how we live out our faith as, as it pertains to resources? A couple weeks ago, Dana talked about resurrecting relationships. How does the resurrection interact with our relationships? Last week, I talked about resurrecting the past. What is the What does the resurrection have to do with our past? And so tonight, we're going to talk about what does resurrection have to do with the here and the now? I want to tackle it from two different angles, and then I want to ask the 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 classic so what question at the end individually what does it mean corporately what does it mean and then so what okay you guys still with me all right here we go so first and foremost i would say individual on an individual level we're talking about resurrection here we're talking about a historical data fact in time and space that jesus christ was killed crucified married, and then rose three days later. What does resurrection have to do with you and me today? On an individual level, you guys have heard the phrase, there are two kinds of people before, right? You guys have heard this? There are two kinds of people, those who uh, drink Coke and those who drink Pepsi, right? There are two kinds of people, those who vote Republican, those who vote Democrat. By the way, this is free. Studies would show that most Republicans drink Coke and most Democrats drink Pepsi, so what do you drink? Just kidding. there are those who like dogs and those who like cats. There are those, and my wife and I came up with this one. I'm real proud about it. Way to go, honey. Love it. There are those who have kids, and then there are those who have advice and theories about for those who have kids. Yeah? Yes! Those of you who don't have kids, we love you. We really do. <laughs> but you might want to save your comments until you've got some kids of your own. You know, you've ever had those offhanded comments by people, and you're just like, You don't even have kids man be quiet just keep it down but pastors don't say that um in in researching this whole two kinds of people thing there's actually a blog by this title there are two kinds of people in the world interestingly you can find it yourself on google's i was there and i found uh, this guy offered a couple of interesting thoughts maybe just straw poll here you know raise your hand uh those who drink with a straw and those who sip out of a cup those who drink with a straw raise your hands raise your hands okay all the cool people who sip from the cup yes love you all right i love you guys too but i drink uh, from the cup um this one i th- there are th- <laughs> we're gonna go for it uh, there are those who like, at the end of the day if you're wearing a belt right there are those who take off your belt and then you take off your pants and then there are those who just like all in one one fell swoop right those who take off your belt first One of you, a couple of you, and those who just everything all together. All right, yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. Uh, There are those who listen to voicemails and those who just call back without listening to voicemails. How many of you listen to voicemails? Thank you very much. I invest so much time and energy into voicemails. My wife often says, Would you just hang up the phone? They're done with you. But for those, how many of you just call people back? You don't listen to voicemails? Man, you bugged me. How many of you go sock, sock, shoe, shoe? And how many of you go sock, shoe, sock, shoe? So those who put their socks on first and then their shoes, everybody? Yeah, okay. And then those of you weird people who put on a sock and then a shoe, and then a sock and then a shoe? A couple of you, not very many. That's because that's odd, very odd. (laughs) Uh, And last but not least, those who hit snooze and those who just accept the arrival of morning. Snoozers? Any snoozers? Most of you. First time the alarm clock goes off, you're up and at Early bird gets the worm, gang. Early bird gets the worm. So there's two kinds of people in the world, and I would submit to you that the biblical authors would agree to this statement, that there are two kinds of people in the world. Now, they would take it a little deeper, a little less anecdotal, and I think that Paul and many of the New Testament writers work with the metaphor of light and darkness. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are walking around in the light, and those, there are those who are walking around in the dark. I'm going to need some help here. We're going to look up a few passages. So I'm going to give one. If you, if you want to find it and read it, and you're okay with reading it out loud, raise your hand, and we'll just rifle through them. I need somebody to look up John 319 to 21. John 3, thank you, 19 to 21. John 8:12. Somebody on this side. Thank you, Megan. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 7. Anybody over here? Thank you very much, Heather. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Somebody over here. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Thank you. Appreciate it, Chris. Uh, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. First John 1, 5 through 7. That was a tough one to find, real small in the back. All right, so this is a, uh, this is a, you could do this all throughout the scriptures. Find a, a lens or a paradigm and look at the different passages that talk about this. Here are, a number of them that work with this metaphor of really there's two kinds of people in the world and resurrection actually validates this. Resurrection authenticates the reality that is true about the fact that there are people in the world who have seen light in resurrection and there are those who are, have not and for whom the world is a very dark place. John 319 to 21 Go ahead and read it loud. eight fascinating little study by the way john the gospel writer uses this metaphor of light and darkness all throughout his gospel he's one of the only gospel writers that does it but it's really really cool if you're reading if you're looking for it second corinthians four Oops, sorry. Keep going. Apologize. Yep, seven. Very good. First Peter 2. John one, love to hear your voices, by the way. so in each of these passages let me just kind of sum up a few of the themes that we've seen darkness equals death right darkness equals death so when the the biblical writers are talking about light and darkness darkness is essentially connected to death and and paul goes on in other passages and connects darkness and death with adam okay one of my favorite uh c.s lewis quotes you've probably heard me say that we are sons of adam and daughters of eve right so those of us who are born into this world, we're born into this darkness, which is equated with death because we're connected to Adam. On the converse, the, the, the writers talk about life and light are connected to each other and connect that with Christ. So even in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so what happens at resurrection is that when the tomb opens up, we have bursting into the world this light of God, which is connected to life. So no longer do we have to live in death and darkness, but an option, a new profound reality that has burst onto the scene is this reality of Christ and the light that comes with it. Resurrection is the authentication of this reality. And it's the individual hope and invitation of God to the world to be reconciled to him. How many of you know people that it's as if they are walking, by the way they live their lives, it's as if they're walking around stumbling in the dark, Knocking over things knocking over people trying to figure and making a mess of things Have you ever done that before just the other night? I was walking in my room and something got moved and the light was off and it was just like well bam and I stubbed my toe It's how many of you know people? It's as if they're walking around in the dark and they're just making a total mess of their lives They're friends of yours some of you that may be exactly where you're at some of you that may be not too far off Where you've come from? It's not as if They're walking around in the dark. The biblical authors and the scriptures would say that that is reality. And the resurrection stands in history to say it authenticates the fact that there are those who have seen the light of resurrection and the light of God in and through Jesus, and there are those who haven't. A few questions for you tonight. Where are you? Do you feel like you're stumbling around in the dark? Do you feel like life is just really, really hard work and it keeps on ending up in a huge mess no matter what you try or what you do? Resurrection has something to say to that. Resurrection would say it doesn't have to be that way because I believe in resurrection. For those of you who have said yes to Christ, how are you being an ambassador of this light of God? How are you, pick the metaphor you want, reflecting the light of God into the world, into the friends and family members that you know? resurrection on an individual level Illuminates and authenticates the fact that there are two kinds of people in the world There are those who live in light and there are those who live in darkness and it is god's hope and his his dream and his Example on the cross that he would want us to live in light corporately What does this have to say corporately? I'm going to grab my whiteboard here and i'm going to draw do some drawing in a little bit, but if resurrection says that individually that there are two kinds of people in the world, light and dark. What does resurrection say about corporately, or what, is it, what, what, what are the implications on a corporate level? Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a little bit to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 17. Some of you probably have this memorized, and you might be thinking to yourself, if you're an astute listener, and observer, you might be thinking... 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does this have to do with corporate? It sounds to me, Micah, like it's a lot more individual. I've got you right where I want you. Do you know that? So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this. Therefore, I love this. If anyone is in Christ, what does your text say? He is a new creation. Okay? little Greek lesson for you here. The actual original text essentially has no subject so what paul is saying is if anyone is in christ if if there's anybody out there who's in christ new creation it's like someone who's in christ validates new creation it's not if anyone is in christ he is a new creation what paul is essentially saying is if there is one flower that has come up through the ground spring right It's it's, it's like this this flower, when it pushes through the ground after a long, cold, hard, laborious, deathly, gray, Minnesota winter, when a crocus flower pushes up through the ground, what do we know? Spring is here, right? It's not going to be winter forever. It's not going to be always winter and never Christmas. Another C.S. Lewis quote from the Chronicles of Narnia. What Paul means to say in this passage is, if anyone is in Christ, if there's someone out there who's in Christ, what it validates or what it authenticates is new creation. And what, my friends, is at the heart of new creation? Resurrection, baby! Because Jesus is what? He's the second Adam. He's the new human. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, that Jesus' role was to make peace between the two, making the two one. Jesus is the new human and he is the new creation and what ushers in new creation is resurrection and so What happens at easter is? Absolutely critical to the corporate identity of the people of God and here's why I say that now if you could imagine an overarching theme of the scriptures We might call it a meta-narrative or a big story um Essentially what you have is a God who is in above all, over all, he is is it, right? Anything that's true, it exists in his essence and his being. Out of which he speaks and creates the world in which we live in, Adam, Eve, you know, rivers, fish, the whole thing, okay? So he creates this beautiful place and there is harmony, there is relationship, there is back and forth between God and his creation, of course, we know the story of the Bible, Genesis 3. Sin enters the world, which, of course, in the Greek means missing the mark, but in the Hebrew mind, it's a whole lot more relational. It actually connotes this idea that some kind of relationship has been broken, and I think this is a beautiful way to see sin. Sin is essentially the severing or the breaking or the, 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 the um, you know, wiping away of the brokenness of a relationship that existed between God and people, people and each other and people in the world that we live in so in eden there was this shalom the hebrews call it this peace this harmony that existed and there was back and forth sin enters and that is no longer a possibility there is a broken relationship at which point act three god initiates he he jumps in he's not the watchmaker that creates it sets hits the button and walks away okay he is the god who is involved and intimately passionately you know pursuing creation and so what does he do He institutes a way by which he calls a people out of the world called Israel. And through Israel, what was the point? Relationship. Reconciliation between God and creation. That was the point of Israel. And so through Israel, as you enter the covenant family of Israel, you become reconciled to the God who made you. Okay? This is the job, the role, the the vocation of Israel in the world. Of course, we know that they screwed up, okay? They turned it on themselves, which is exactly what sin is all about. The heart turned in on itself. And they thought that their being called out in the world was really about God's, you know, like, I think you're the best, and you're going to be elevated, and everything's about you. And of course, that's not the case. That's why Jesus flips over the, temple, the tables in the temple, because they got it wrong. And then God doesn't give up on his creation. He's still... So, before we go there, this is the way in which God's mission in the world is accomplished. What's God's mission in the world? Redemption, reconciliation, relationship between that, he, that which he has created. That's the mission of God in the world. And he sends Israel into the world. He sends, when Israel fails, the answer is Jesus. Yes! He, uh, 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 so this, this, is, this is God's mission, and when this doesn't work out, God doesn't give up. He, he offers a new way by which this happens. And so what's the point? same as this right reconciliation relationship and it happens in and through jesus so previously to the cross and previously to resurrection god's people were defined by israel and the and the mission of god was accomplished and and happened in and through that medium or in and through that vehicle when that didn't work enter jesus and now when the tomb busts open and Jesus comes out and says death where is your sting victory you got or you uh, death you got nothing on me when he says that what happens in this moment is that the, the 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 people of God are redefined in a very new and drastic fashion and it's anyone who is in Christ that's the means by which reconciliation happens that's the means by which redemption and relationship is offered and made possible again so paul and 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 other gospel writers at a number of different levels make known the fact that resurrection and new creation authenticates and it validates this this redefinition of the people of god so what used to be israel is now called the church paul calls it the ecclesia the called out ones which is the same exact thing that israel was supposed to be so individually Resurrection, it validates the fact that this is where we live, light and darkness. There are two realities. There are two potentials, two possibilities, depending on what you do with resurrection. Connected with that, corporately, there is this redefinition of God's people, which leads me to the more important third point and question of so what, right? The fact that we have been redefined and the people of God are now redefined is critical to this idea. Resurrection has to do with mission Resurrection has to do with being missional if you will if you want to throw that third point up there and in Christ We anticipate what will be Now I used to be a junior high youth pastor and a long time ago uh, I, I worked with junior hires in Denver, Colorado right out of right out of college and for some crazy Actually stupid reason. I decided to teach revelation to junior hires I figure if you're going to jump in, you may as well just jump in the deep end and go for it, right? If you can swim, you can swim. If you can't, you're going to drown. So I jump in the deep end and, uh, you know, true confessions of a pastor. Here's the thing. We're people. Like, we don't come out of school with all the answers. That's not what they give you at school. And, and, and my understanding of resurrection and of how things will go down at the end of, how, at the end of my life has drastically, and I mean drastically changed from that point until where I stand before you today. And I look back, and I I honestly, I pray God's mercy over those kids that they would not have listened to anything I said. (laughs) Because I had a great, you know, pure heart, great intentions, but misinformed a bit. And we're going to just, like, get the front end of this tonight and we're going to fit we're going to really unpack it next week so to be continued it's going to be good but here's the thing paul says this about about humans and life and death he says when we die our physical bodies die we are absent in the body and we are what's the present with christ right okay so something happens when we die and our physical bodies cease to like our hearts stop beating we die And our bodies go on the ground, but our spirit is with Christ. So those who are in Christ, those who have trusted Christ for for forgiveness and and redemption, there is an immediate being in the presence of God somewhere, somehow, on a spiritual level, elsewhere. Uh, If you want to call that heaven, go right ahead. But I would submit to you, uh, and I'll quote one of my favorite authors, Heaven's a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. What you and I have typically been told, heaven after we die, we associate with something that is temporary. Because what the, uh, what the biblical authors and what Paul and what Jesus are pointing at is not just heaven after we die, but resurrection for crying out loud. Paul's whole deal in 1 Corinthians 15 is that we too will experience resurrection. What is, we talked about this last week when Ma- Matthew 22 when Jesus talks to the Sadducees. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what's their deal? Where are they? They're awaiting resurrection. So they're in that in-between time between death and resurrection, between death and God's new world, between death and the kingdom of God, when their physical bodies, just like Jesus at Easter, will be resurrected and made new. So what does this have to do with you and me? Everything! It has everything to do with you and me. The unfortunate part about reading scripture, the way I taught it to these junior hires, is that it essentially leaves us with an evacuation theology. Which is to say that we are, once we say yes to Christ, we sign up and we say yes, I'm with Jesus. We hope and we wait until we get to go to heaven when we die, because this world is we're just a passing through and we're going to on to glory where things are gonna be really good which, number one, isn't really all that biblical, and number two sounds a lot like a, a heresy of the first century church called Gnosticism, which, in which they believed that that which is physical is bad, and that which is spiritual is good. And so we deny, we just pass through, we don't, we don't engage with that which is physical, and we look forward to that which is spiritual. For heaven's sakes, guys, if that were the case, why in the world do we have resurrection? Because that's a real vexing, uh, um, that, that sort, of, sort of throws a wrench in the, in the plan. God's like the climax of, of redemptive history. And what do we have? We have a physical Jesus coming out of the grave, hanging out with his friends, eating fish and chips. If we understand the biblical story in that way, we essentially were biding time. We're hoping and waiting until someday Jesus will come back and take us away. We're going to tackle 1 Thessalonians next week. So if that question's in your mind, don't go anywhere. I'll be back. But it essentially gives us a theology that says the things that we do here, and this is what this is my point here, the things that we do here and now really ultimately don't matter. Except for the bit about rewards and crowns and that whole thing in Revelation. Other than that, What you do, the life that you live, what you do at work, the families that you have, the neighbors, the the relationships that you have with neighbors, the way in which you love people, the work that you do with orphans and widows and people who don't have enough food, the fact that you feed hungry people, the fact that you stand in the gap when somebody's house burns down, all those things, they don't actually matter because what we're looking forward to is spiritual heaven someday after we die. And I want to submit to you tonight that that is not very biblical and it's not very convincing. I mean, if you're gonna tell people about Jesus and you're saying, "Hey, here's here's how it all works," let me. You should really say yes to Christ. Why? Well, because essentially, uh, once you say yes to Christ, then um, you just kind of wait and hope and and sort of look forward to something that'll happen way down there. <laughs> awesome. Where do I sign? But a theology and 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 a God. Who, who 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 seems very consistent all throughout a God who is physical and engages on the the sweat and blood tears and 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 here and now level and and who who in and through resurrection says this you live in a world that is broken and that is not the way it should be. There should not be people who go hungry, there should not be w- orphans with no fathers and mothers there should not be people who are abused and who are where relationships are absolutely maimed and manipulated that is not how the world should be and i'm a god who had a hope and a dream when I started this whole thing, and this is not it. And so what I'm going to do is not abandon it and throw it away and burn it. What I am going to burn is evil and sin and death and decay and anything that comes from it. But what I'm going to redeem and what I'm going to keep and what's going to last in God's good new world are the things of truth and beauty and life. Man, that's fantastic. Now, the good guy wins in the end, right? You know, it's not like some lame movie where you get to the end and you're like, this movie is not going to end right now. I swear, if it does, I will be so mad. Because that's essentially, like, like if resurrection's not true, and, and, and this world and physical flesh and blood isn't redeemed, and, and God's good world isn't kept, it's like you get to the end of the movie, and you're like, seriously? Like, all of this, you said it was good, but you lied, and you're not, that's not really true, so you're just going to, like, ditch it? and we're... It doesn't make any sense to me. So, what's the alternative? Quickly, let me tell you. Yeah, we're going to save some of this for next week because I could go for about another hour. Um, Let me wrap this up with this, okay? Resurrection, why does it matter here and now? Because we live in a world that is broken, that is busted up, that's maimed, that has been stolen and hijacked, and sabotaged by an enemy, right? And so there are people, there are two kinds of people, those who have have experienced the light of resurrection that burst into the world when the tomb was opened, and there are those who have not. And, and the world is a very dark place. And you and I have a role in that. At resurrection, God's mission in the world just continues to push forward, but it does so in a very different way, and that's in and through the church, which is why your and I's engagement in participation in god's mission in the world which is redemption which is reconciliation which is relationship this is god's mission in the world and he's invited you and me and all of us and the church and it's the means by which he is he's going to do it so what you do how you engage matters it means something and i think that the things that are good true right and beautiful that you participate in it's like We're becoming the people we will be forever. We're becoming the people we will be forever. What I just told you was the doctrine of sanctification. What does the scripture say about what we will become? We will become like Christ. Now, as you live, and as you you practice and anticipate what will be, you're becoming the person you will be forever. And in new creation, do you think that there will be any hungry kids? No. There will be enough. Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 41, I think it is. Isaiah 35. There will be enough food to go around. And so as you participate in feeding hungry people, what you're doing is being an ambassador, a sign, an outpost of the kingdom that will come when you stand next to widows and orphans and people who don't have mothers and fathers and you saddle up next to them and say, I will love you like my own, what you are doing is you are a sign and an outpost and an ambassador for the kingdom that will come, that's authenticated and validated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you! (laughs) And so we're going to take communion because this... (laughs) is the metaphor it's the symbol i mean it's like the tangible way in which we tap into this unbelievable story you can't make this stuff up i may need to get my blood pressure checked (laughs) this my friends is the good news of the gospel and this is the kind of church that we want to be about This is the kind of work we want to be engaged in. This is the the kind of people we would like to be. And please hear me, by the power of the Spirit of God, we can do those things. The Spirit of God which empowers the church, this mission in the world, we can do those things. Without it, we cannot. We are sunk. It has nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with God's gracious invitation, just like Adam and Eve in Eden. What did he tell them? tend the garden engage manage it facilitate kingdom stuff that's where we're headed and that's the story we tell now so I want to invite you to this table tonight uh, we're going to I'm going to invite the band up and they're going to uh, lead us in a song that essentially talk about the people who are redeemed right the people of resurrection and what we do and what we're about And then uh, I'm going to invite us to take communion together, and we're going to do it a little differently, but um, let's go ahead and sing this together. And if you haven't heard it, just listen. Let them sing it over you, for you, with you, uh, and then we'll participate in communion together. This is good stuff, really good stuff. church, which is, which is essentially to say that this meal is about community. Obviously, the word communion uh, has, a, has a direct connection to community. And his and admonishment to them was to do to, to participate in this meal, the eating and drinking of this symbolic bread and, and wine, uh, in such a way that it honors Christ, in such a way that it, it reflects the kingdom that is coming in such a way that if people were to walk into it, they might be able to say, that doesn't look like what I experience every day. And we might be able to say, that's because it looks like what will be. And so as you gather around these tables, we're going to do it a little differently tonight. At the center table back here, there's kind of traditional bread and juice. Um, But at each of these tables, there's a number of different things. And I want to invite you to, to linger. Uh, The band's going to play a song called Tasting Forgiveness just kind of quietly in the background. But I want this to be an experience that's beyond just you and Jesus. Because communion and community is about more than just me and Jesus. It's about us. And it's about us affirming and reaffirming what has happened in Christ, what we have said to be true about about humanity and how we need god and how he's provided it's it's all of those things wrapped up and it's about us together and so introduce yourselves to the people around the tables Uh, find out more about who they are instead of just coming to church and sitting and then leaving and never talking to anybody here's an opportunity to actually engage Um, and so eat drink um Isaiah the prophet says that there will come a day when you will, those who have no money and have no way to buy food will be able to come to the table and eat their fill because it's the kingdom of God. And so this is a taste of what that's going to be like. And if we do it right, uh, it will honor God and it will honor Jesus and it will honor His death and His resurrection which we live uh, day to day. Okay? So if you are... Uh, a member of of christ's body that this meal is for you uh and and you can participate in that way and symbolically these elements represent those things if you're not a member of the body of christ if you've not said yes to christ then just eat some food uh, because it's here for you so let me pray and we'll uh enter into this time of communion together god thank you so much for your sacrifice of jesus Uh, the fact that you came into our world that you became one of us and you you uh, you took what was ours and you placed it on yourself and you took it to uh, the worst the enemy could, could offer in death and you have conquered it and you have said, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Uh, and you rose. And so we proclaim that fact as we eat this meal together. Uh, we're grateful for all that you've done, all that you are, all that you're calling us to be and engaging us and asking us to participate with you. Uh, We don't get it, and and we certainly don't deserve it, but we are uh, just tickled to be a part of uh, this whole thing. So uh, we give you honor, we give you glory, we worship you, God, Uh, in and through this meal together. We pray in your name. Amen.